As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm John Lovett. Love it. What's we up? Got, uh, we got one HBO show under our belts. Yeah. Woo. Woo. You can still catch it online. Uh, you can catch it streaming on HBO now. It would be nice if you did. Uh, tomorrow, you and I are going to head to Austin, Texas. Dan and John go a little later for our show on Friday. Our guest is Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, he is. And I want you to know that as we go to level two of the video game of me not eating carbs, Texas barbecue. The next challenge. Oh, God. <laughs> well, you looked good at the gym this yeah, morning. Thank you very um, much. Later on in the pod, you will hear our interview with Democratic candidate for the 26th District in Florida, Debbie Mukersell Powell. She's cool. She is very cool. Everyone, don't forget to go to votesaveamerica.com. You got everything you need uh, for the election on November 6th. You got an interactive voter guide. Fill out a copy of your ballot. You can find volunteer opportunities. We're just trying to make it easy. There's a couple cynical people out there who think this is some sort of data capture play for us. We'll burn the data when we're done. We don't give a fuck. Just vote. Maybe you'll burn the data. <laughs> I'm burning the data. Okay. 22 days until the midterms. Love it. Uh, today is Monday, October 15th. We're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren's October surprise, <laughs> Beto O'Rourke's fundraising, nationwide Republican voter suppression tactics, Jared Kushner's taxes, and the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Whew. Okay. Okay. Section one, midterm grab bag. Uh, there's going to be a lot of polls. There's going to be some horse race stories that are going to make you anxious. The thing you all need to know is it's going to be close. It's going to be close. We've got to work hard. Keep your head down. But here's some things that jumped out at us over the weekend. Yes. Uh, overnight, Elizabeth Warren released a DNA <laughs> test that provides, quote, strong evidence she had a Native American in her family tree dating back six to ten generations. Scoreboard, Score- Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> this comes in response <laughs> to another racist birther demand from our racist president who's been demanding to see the longest form of birth certificate, her DNA, for a long time. It was a cool video. I don't know. What do you think? So... Uh, the results suggest that she has Native American heritage somewhere six to ten generations back. Donald Trump has said that if she can demonstrate that she has Native American heritage, he would donate one million to charity. Uh, Elizabeth Warren selected a charity that focuses on helping Native Americans. My advice to that charity would be do not assume the money in the budget for, for the fiscal year. <laughs> that would be my Check one will not clear one one thing I would say. Hey, if it comes in, you know, uh, hope for the best, plan for the worst. That's, That's what I would say gravy, yeah. to that organization. Yeah, I mean, like the video was well executed. Like everything she does, I, I, it was very compelling. I mean, it depresses the f- life out of me that our racist birther president demanded another person like live up to a level of of truth and factual. Uh, accuracy and evidentiary presentation that he doesn't live up to, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, uh, this isn't a, <laughs> shouldn't focus on this too much. We shouldn't give this too much oxygen. Clearly, this is something that Senator Warren wanted to dispense with before mm-hmm. next year. I got, who knows why? Who could, who could think of a reason as to why she'd want to dispense <laughs> with this before we enter some sort of a, I don't know, a race, a marathon next year. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I can't imagine this will solve the problem totally. But look, yeah. we talked to her a few months ago mm-hmm. and when this controversy was first erupting or at least erupting in a bigger way, we asked her about it. She actually was pretty frustrated by the fact that she was being put in this position. I think she's right mm-hmm. to have been frustrated to put, be put in this position. But all in all, I'm glad she's dealing with it. It seems like it's the kind of thing that she was going to have to answer one way or another. So she wanted to deal with it now. Now there's been some criticism of her that she's doing it before the midterms, like it's a big distraction. The idea that Elizabeth Warren putting out a video in which she uh, reveals that she has Native American heritage is going to cost us midterm votes is the stupidest so fucking silly. shit I've ever heard. What are you talking so about? this seems to be to be unrelated to the midterms. Yeah. I mean, I think the birther thing followed Obama around forever because it was fundamentally racist and people wanted to have a racist attack on him. I think this is different, but I don't think Trump will let it go anyway. Let's talk about Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke's campaign announced that he raised an astonishing $38 million in the last three months. That brings his total to nearly $62 million, the biggest quarter ever for a Senate candidate. Um, 
This immediately led to criticism from Democrats <laughs> who want that money to be <laughs> so to spread the wealth around, like Joe the Plumber. Uh, the latest iteration of that narrative was a New York Times story with the headline: "Beto O'Rourke's war chest bothers some Democrats as he struggles against Ted Cruz." Love it. Does Beto's war chest bother you? It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. There's sort of two things that are getting combined. One is, it's absolutely true that if Beto O'Rourke were to win a Senate seat, it is worth the exact same number of votes for majority leader as. Claire McCaskill, as Heidi Heitkamp, as Bill Nelson, as Jackie Rosen, as uh, Kirsten Sinema. That's absolutely true. And we need all of those candidates to do well. We need all of those candidates to have the resources they need to compete. It would be a shame to wake up the day after Election Day and having discovered that if we had just put a few more resources into a race, we could have won the Senate. That That's obviously true. But it's actually a separate point than what Better Work is doing, because Better Work has not taken a single dollar away from another Senate candidate. Yeah, I, I think, well, well said. I mean, this criticism, I think, tells you a lot about traditional fundraising. For many candidates, there's like a finite number of bundlers and lobbyists and PACs that they go to, and that is a zero-sum game. Beto got contributions from 800,000 donors. More than half of the third quarter money was from people in Texas. And so, like, the average small-dollar donor in Houston isn't sitting around thinking, like, I got 100 bucks, should I give it to Beto or split it with Heidkamp and Manchin? Like, that's a very D.C. way to think about it. Some people pointed out that in 2008, Mark Warner transferred a bunch of money to the DSCC, but, like, he was winning. <laughs> Beto was down by as much as eight points. So, and, and, and also, by the way, you know, Beto is doing more than just campaigning for himself. When you have a war chest like that and you can use it to get out the vote, organize, yeah. put up ads, you help build a growing Democratic coalition in Texas. Texas is getting closer and closer to being a state we can win more frequently. This has been something we've been talking about. I remember when George W. Bush was the candidate uh, uh, for re-election, the conversation was this may be one of the last times Texas is not in contention. It hasn't been true yet. It's taking longer than anybody wanted. But- Texas was closer than Iowa. We still, in our minds, think of Iowa as a swing state. So so I think I'd say that as well. Also, but by the way, like, it's true. You know, Democrats are driven by sort of heart in a way that I think Republicans aren't as much. And that is a problem, right? It is a problem. We don't pay enough attention to down ballot races that don't inspire us. We don't pay attention enough to Secretary of State's races and judges' Mm -hmm. races and district attorney races. We do treat politics as something that's about... Um, inspiration rather than, you know, practical perspiration. <laughs> sure. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Sure. And that that's something that we should think about more. Yeah, but but using Beto and sort of saying that Beto's war chest should trouble you is actually not the right conclusion. The question we should ask is, what can we do to have other Democrats excite people in the same way, take the positions that get more fundraising in and... Um, That's it. Yeah. If you're listening to the show right now and you're thinking, I want Democrats to take back the Senate, then you should give money to Claire McCaskill, Bill Nelson, Heidi Heikep, Joe Donnelly, John Tester, or challengers like Kirsten Sinema and Jackie Rosen. We have to win those races. If you gave to Beto because you were inspired by Beto, that's great. There's no negative there. Like the, uh, the idea that he has an obligation to pull a bait and switch on his own donors and start giving money away before the election is like bonkers. That said, I don't know how you spend $38 million in a month, but we're going to find out. Yeah, it's just not a zero-sum game. That's all. It's, it's silly. It's not a zero-sum game. And we, we talk about it all this time, right, that, that, that like there's this contradiction, right, which is we need Joe Manchin to win, but we want to pay him a price for voting for mm-hmm. Kavanaugh. We want Bresden to win, but it pisses us off that he gets behind Kavanaugh for no fucking reason and actually loses some some uh, volunteers because of it. Well, there's actually that that's the kind of negative one, right, the one where you're like, oh, man, you know, we need him to win, but it sucks that they took that position. But there's actually a positive example, right? We want people like Beto to be rewarded for being the kind of candidates we believe in. And that sends a message about what kind of candidates we want in the future. So I think this kind of hand-wringing is silly. I think it was a narrative in search of examples. Yes. And uh, Run, Beto, run. Okay. That story was annoying. Uh, This one is downright frightening. Even though Trump had to dissolve his bullshit voter fraud panel, efforts to prevent people from voting are still happening at the state level in a bunch of states. Uh, in the name of voter roll maintenance, Georgia has canceled over 1.4 million voter registrations since 2012. The man in charge of purging the voter rolls is Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who is now running for governor. More recently, Kemp's office put 53,000 registration applications on hold. 70% of those applications are African-American. So is Kemp's opponent, Stacey Abrams. What a coincidence. Uh, love it. Like, this is so brazen. It is so obvious. It's so, clearly voter suppression is happening in plain sight. What do we do about it? Yeah. So another number was that 670,000 had been thrown off in 2017 alone. 
And, you know, look, if you turned on a football game, you know football, the sport that I can mm-hmm. tell, talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it'd be quite a thing if uh, at some point during the game, the uh, the quarterback uh, just went in the middle of the field and started, started throwing out flags, you know, uh-huh. on the other team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. You know, being like the it. ref yeah. or ump. Right. Then he, then he That's inappropriate. You'd be like, wait a second. Yeah. You can't call balls and strikes like, on the kick, football field. Kick a home run, man. What are you You're doing? on the game. You're in it. You're the QB. You're the halfback. You're the fullback. We can't have a fullback moving the chains. The NFL's really moved away from the Is that right? But yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what's been going on here. Um, the other thing is, you know, Michelle Goldberg wrote a really great piece about this in the New York Times that I would recommend everyone read. It actually is a really great rundown of this issue and where it stands. Um, one thing I would hope is that Chief Justice John Roberts uh, gets a newspaper and reads it uh, because the Voting Rights Act, look, the United States was not truly a liberal democracy. Uh, until we changed our voting rights laws and we made sure that uh, a history of, of segregation, vote suppression, and racial terrorism in the South didn't prevent millions of African Americans from casting a ballot. Third, the, the success of the Voting Rights Act was used to undermine the Voting Rights Act. And the second, John Roberts and that court uh, allowed the Voting Rights Act and its key provisions that means uh, states with a history of racial voter suppression have to have their voting laws reviewed by the Justice Department before they're approved. The second that was removed, these states went fucking hog wild. Yep. That's what's going on right now. That's going on across the South and across the country. And, um, you know, one thing we need to do is, again, as we were talking about earlier, you hear Pundit shaking. She's furious. She's is, wearing a bow tie. She looks really cute. She is. She looks like Paul Poundstone. The uh, uh, We need... <laughs> <laughs> we need uh, to win Secretary of State's races. We need to win yeah. local races. We need to win judges' races. And uh, we need to make sure we win down ballots so that we can fight this in the future. But it's honest. And we need to help, have, see how these cases play out. But it's a really tough issue. And the bottom line is if Stacey Abrams loses by a tiny bit in this governor's race, it will be an illegitimate election. Yeah. I mean, this is racist. In Florida, African Americans are more likely to have their ballots, uh, their vote by mail ballot rejected. In Texas, the Secretary of State is trying to invalidate voter registration applications submitted through vote.org. This is happening all the time. Like you said, in 2013, Roberts gutted the Voting Rights Act and he made it harder for the federal government to do anything. So we got to win the governor's office and legislatures and secretary of states because as much as people criticize Hillary for not going to Wisconsin, it is probably more significant that nearly 17,000 registered Wisconsin voters were prevented from voting by the state's voter ID law. And Trump won the state by 22,748 votes. I mean, look at what's happening in North Dakota. Heidi Heitkamp, needs Native American votes to win. They have just changed the law to make it so that if you are if you're if you're registered at a PO box that no longer counts. Well, guess guess who tends to be registered at PO boxes more than the mm-hmm. rest of the state? Native Americans because a variety of reasons. So, we are seeing this it's incredibly dangerous. It is anti-democratic and um, yeah, here's one more quick gross but not surprising story. Uh, over the weekend, the New York Times reported that Jared Kushner appears to have paid basically zero federal income tax from 2009 to 2016. Basically, he was able to claim that buildings he owns were depreciating in value and use those losses on paper to offset any money he actually made because you know real estate in New York, it's always going down in price. <laughs> uh, love it. How do we buy a building and get in on this action? Well, first you have to buy uh, a building on Fifth Avenue at the height of the boom, mm. and then um, go so far in debt that you are uh, really a supplicant to foreign governments. Writing this down. Writing this. Yeah, this is good. I mean, I would. <laughs> that sounded like TV button mashing. The uh, um, yeah, look, this is. And one other thing I'd say is to the the corporate tax bill that they just passed makes it even easier for people like Jared Kushner to claim mm-hmm. that their losses outweigh their need to pay federal income taxes. You know, Donald Trump has probably has claimed the same. We know that from his 1995 tax return that he claimed almost a billion dollars in losses, which meant that he probably didn't pay taxes for the next decade. Right. Uh, <laughs> at, well, even as he's accruing massive wealth, this is one of the great issues of our time. You know, I, I've said this before, but inequality is not some mysterious force. You know, we see a lot of like harumphing and conferences about the future of work and globalization and technology and all the rest. That is not the cause of economic inequality in America. The cause of economic inequality is corporate concentration and government policy. And this is yet another example of that. Yeah. I mean, rich people like Donald Trump and the Koch brothers and many others, they use like populist rage to 
get economic policies that benefit them disproportionately. Like when, when you hear Donald Trump complain about his taxes, just remember that his dad was able to give him over $400 million. Jared pays no income taxes. Like these wealthy people use these loopholes to avoid paying taxes. Warren Buffett is honest about it. He says he pays a lower effective rate than his secretary. Gary Cohn was quoted as saying that only morons pay the estate tax. So when they say this is about helping farmers, they're fucking lying. It's rigged. It's bullshit. This is why Democrats need to be in control so we can actually change the tax code to to get Jared to pay something and help you know working people. It really is, you know, there really are two systems here. And I think one thing people don't understand about what these sort of high-powered lawyers and tax accountants do is, you know, for a person who's just has a job and goes to their accountant or does their taxes themselves, it's all pretty simple. You you know what you're supposed to declare or not. It's it's not it's not as simple as you want it to be. It can be complicated and really fucking confusing. But ultimately, you're like, you know what you made. You know what you're supposed to declare. You know what you're you know what would be uh, kind of skirting the rules a bit. But you but you do your best to pay your taxes and what you owe. For people that have these incredibly complicated, wealthy, high-end uh, uh, lawyers that are kind of looking at investments and losses and, and write-offs and all the rest, their lawyers don't actually tell them, here's what's legal and here's what's illegal. They basically say, here's what's really conservative. Here's what we think you can get away with. Here's what's pushing it. Here's what's really fucking pushing it. Like, and here's what this a shot. <laughs> and here's what got this guy in jail. <laughs> yeah, right. And you ba- and, and and basically, you know, these they sit around the table and they decide what they don't decide what do they owe. They decide what can we get away with. Yeah. That is what our tax code is written to do. And one other piece of this is over and over again we have seen through budgets, through policy decisions, the Republican Party has tried to undermine the IRS's ability to investigate tax fraud amongst the wealthy because. Uh, it, the, the the audits are much more likely to come for people who make less simply because there are more people, but also because it's just a lot fucking harder mm-hmm. to go into Donald Trump's books and figure out what the fuck is going on. But I'd say one thing Democrats should be talking about when they see this is we need to make sure that we have federal investigators with the ability to go after tax fraud at the highest levels. These people are getting away with stealing from you. Donald Trump has done it. His father has done it. Jared Kushner has done it. Countless people in finance are doing it every single day when they don't have the scrutiny of national politics on them. And uh, it's a huge problem that the donor class doesn't want to address, but we should. Yeah. Corporate robber barons. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down. Not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Let's talk about the horrifying murder of a Saudi dissident named Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, This is a tough story, but it has 
major international consequences. So I'm just going to try to walk through the basics relatively quickly. Um, Jamal Khashoggi worked as a journalist for more than 30 years. At one point, he also served as an advisor to the Saudi leadership, including a former intelligence chief. So he's like a well-known, well-respected, dialed-in person. He left Saudi Arabia after the current leader, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS, came to power and started cracking down on dissent. Uh, Khashoggi had been living in Washington, D.C. for about a year and writing columns for the Washington Post. On October 12th, so a couple weeks ago, he went to the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, to get paperwork that would allow him to marry his Turkish fiancée, but then he never came out. On that same day, two private planes arrived in Turkey from Saudi Arabia, carrying 50 men who have since been identified by a Turkish official as members of an assassination team. According to Turkish officials and news reports, Khashoggi was interrogated, tortured, murdered, dismembered with a bone saw that had been brought along for this purpose. Uh, The Saudi kill team then checked out of their hotel, allegedly, and flew back to Saudi Arabia the same day. Love it. Uh, The Trump response has been all over the place and terrible. First, he basically said, I don't like what happened, but this guy wasn't an American citizen. The Saudis buy a lot of weapons from us. So, you know, what can you do? Last nine and 60 minutes, uh, he seemed to toughen his stance a little bit, saying that while they've denied any role in the murder, the U.S. will inflict, quote, severe punishment if they're lying. This morning, he said he's sending Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, over to Saudi Arabia to deal with it. What do you make of how they're handling this? Yeah, one thing I'd add is he, he tweeted, Trump tweeted this morning, just spoke to the king of Saudi Arabia who denies any knowledge of whatever may have happened to, quote, our Saudi Arabian citizen. He said that they're working closely with Turkey to find the answer. I am immediately sending our secretary of state to meet with the king. It seems pretty clear that Trump does not want to be accused of not caring. He wants to kind of hit the points he's supposed to hit. But that's that's what he wants to do. What he re- What his instinct is telling him is to create distance by reminding people that even though he was a... Uh, legal immigrant in the United States, that he was a Saudi citizen, and he wants to kind of not care about this, not deal with this, take the Saudi talking points at their face value. It's very, very, his his rhetoric on the Saudis is very similar to his rhetoric on Putin when he said, look, he's telling me he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's, it's, um, it's the position he takes when he does not want to deal with this problem. It's when he either is, for reasons we don't know, perhaps financial, unwilling to criticize somebody who clearly deserves it. Mm-hmm. You know, the... This goes back, actually, to our conversation about taxes. We don't know. You know, now we've gotten some window into Jared Kushner's taxes, and we know that he hasn't paid taxes. We have no idea what's going on with Trump's taxes. It seems pretty clear that there are financial ties between the Saudis and whether it's Trump or people in Trump's orbit that have led them to be incredibly solicitous of this government. The unhealthy relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia has been kind of made even worse by Mm -hmm. the kind of (laughs) whether they're personal financial ties between Kushner and this government, Mm -hmm. whether Jared's just in this guy's pocket, whether he's just been duped, we don't know. But uh, uh, it's shameful. Yeah. Um, A few thoughts. I mean, the initial response basically told every dictator, I don't care about human rights. I don't care if you crack down on journalists, dissent, etc. I don't think that surprised them after years of lock her up chants and threatening to change the libel laws and all that shit. Trump is right that the Saudis buy lots of weapons for us. It's not nearly as much as he claims, uh, but it's also immoral to suggest that that's more important than preventing the murder of innocent people. It's also pathetic to talk about arms sales as if that ties our hands versus like being leveraged for us. Like these these weapon systems are top of the line. They're they're hard. Uh, they're expensive. They're complicated. You can't just like switch from one to another like it's Coke and Pepsi. Like it would take a while to do that. The reality of, of his response, I think. Congress might be able to force him to respond. A group of bipartisan group of senators sent a letter to Trump calling for an investigation of what happened under the, the Global Magnitsky Act, which will require Trump to submit a report to Congress indicating what happened and if he's going to sanction Saudi leaders uh, if they had a role in the murder. Um, if they do that, it would be a huge step. Like Mohammed bin Salman has been wildly overreacting to everything. The Canadians tweeted a mild criticism of him. He like suspended trade, investment, flights. They went nuts. But I mean, to your point, I, I think there's a chance that his long-term financial interests uh, are more important to him than the country's interests. And so like, but the one thing that makes me feel great about all of this is that uh, this relationship rests in the hands of Jared Kushner, right? I mean, Jared and Mohammed bin Salman WhatsApp each other all the time. They're buds, one prince to another. So Jared is on it, right, Love it. Like it's, nothing to do with future investments or anything else? Yeah. So look, part of this too is, you know, the United States relationship with Saudi Arabia wasn't uh, worthy of praise uh, before Donald Trump and Jared Kushner came along. You know, one thing, you know, it's it's fascinating to see how this murder of a journalist has excited a reckoning um, in terms of what Saudi Arabia has been doing when their behavior in Yemen 
has not. When their kidnapping of a foreign official from Lebanon has not. Uh, when their incredibly dismal human rights record has not. Um, but if this is what it took to wake people up to something, maybe that's positive. I mean, Tommy, why is it that the United States has this relationship with Saudi Arabia in which we look past human rights abuses uh, that uh, for any other country we would be far more mm-hmm. critical of? So it's very complicated. I mean, the, the U.S.-Saudi alliance goes back 70 years. Uh, our demand for oil is like obviously a, a huge part of it. But there's also a very close security alliance between not just the military, but uh, the intelligence services. Like Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, is a lethal, lethal threat. And they spent years, for example, working on uh, special explosives that you could get on a plane that were undetected. And they nearly took down a couple of planes like when we were still in the White House. And I remember being in situation room meetings where we were talking about like very specific ways the Saudi intel services had helped us deal with AQAP. So I'm not saying that to absolve them, but that's a piece of it. Um, also, like obviously I'm a supporter of the Iran deal, but we were not always friends with Iran in the United States. And the Iranians are hardly good guys. They've done a lot hor- of horrible shit in Syria. They killed our troops in Iraq. They were supplying arms to groups that went after our guys in Afghanistan. Uh, and the Saudis have historically helped us check them. But I, I don't think any of that means you can get away and excuse the murder of a journalist or the war in Yemen that you mentioned or the human rights abuses in the name of combating terrorism. Because ultimately, like cracking down on human rights and, and basic decency like that leads to more terrorism. Yeah. And if we had a legitimate president uh, who was not guided by personal interest and Fox and Friends, <laughs> uh, like what what would President Obama be doing if in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, this had happened with this journalist? You know, it's hard. Like I was thinking about that over the weekend. I mean, first of all, the cries of weakness and attacks on him for not immediately stepping in would have been instantaneous. I, I think I mean, I think the first thing is that we wouldn't necessarily have been in this place like like i don't want to harp on jared too much but when you put like a a little dilettante in charge of foreign policy or this huge relationship he's gonna get tricked i mean he he shouldn't have been back channeling with mohammed bin salman and supporting him when he was locking up all the senior figures in the saudi government in the riyadh ritz carlton like he shouldn't have been cutting out experienced state department officials from that process he shouldn't have had trump go to saudi arabia of all places on his first foreign trip or had them intervene on the saudi behalf during their dispute with Qatar. uh our biggest base in the region is in Qatar, right so it's like dumb on its face but Jared bought this line from Mohammed bin Salman that he would help us solve the Middle East peace process. Uh, he bought into Trump's political narrative that he was going to go after Iran where Obama had been weak. And Kushner just, you know, Mohammed bin Salman told people that Kushner was in his his pocket. So, like, what I think we would have done differently is when MBS started locking up critics or kidnapped the Lebanese prime minister or, you know, as Yemen has gotten worse and worse, we would have started applying pressure then and maybe it would have prevented this kind of step. But again, like to your point, like I'd love to whack Democrats in a minute, too. But Mohammed bin Salman went on this media tour where he sold himself as a reformer to journalists, business people, celebrities, politicians. He went to Google, Amazon, Facebook, got a puff piece on 60 Minutes. So Thomas Friedman, Tom Friedman. So, yeah, like. You know, there's a lot of people who are a little more hardened, who don't have a financial interest in government, who think Mohammed bin Salman is Kim Jong-un with a billion dollar sovereign wealth fund. Right. Like we would have been maybe a little more cynical. Yeah. And there was a there was a a moment in um, the State Department briefing that I thought was revealing where Mm -hmm. a reporter kind of put it to uh, the briefer and said, uh, who's our ambassador to Turkey? Who's our ambassador to Saudi Arabia? And the answer is that we don't have one. Yeah. Uh, because again, they have so dismantled the State Department under Tillerson, and and you know I don't and and which has continued under Pompeo, and uh, it's all being run out of the White House, and it's being run by people with personal financial interest and no fucking clue as yeah. to what they're doing. Interesting that he sent Pompeo this morning. Like the uh, Kylie Atwood, who covers the State Department for CBS, tweeted the manifest. Jared is not on there. Like the the adults got sent. But like again, to your point, like before I get to self righteous. Uh, Democrats have hardly taken a pure position on Saudi Arabia over the years. The war in Yemen is a humanitarian disaster. This was started in 2015 by Mohammed bin Salman. Obama did put some pressure on them, uh, both in terms of public statements and trying to pull back 
arms sales, but more could and should have been done. Uh, I think also the international community should have done a lot more. Like at the UN, I mean, we could. That's another thing you could do. You could empower international bodies like the UN General Assembly, the Security Council, to try to push them. But like, yeah, the Saudis have done terrible stuff that have gotten a pass for a long time. Like women were just recently allowed to drive. Shia activists were locked up. Protests were made illegal around the Arab Spring. They got a pass because of what they gave us in terms of security, Iran, and oil. Yeah, and also they have spent millions and millions of dollars building up a lobbying and press apparatus yes. in Washington, D.C. that has been incredibly effective. Uh, uh, Avi Asher Shapiro was posting um, uh, what he's gotten from uh, uh, his sort of seeking of uh, government Fair documents, filings. filings. And one, one thing he found is Norm Coleman, a former senator from Minnesota, kind of emailing the Foreign Relations Committee just to kind of plant the seed that actually, you know, uh, uh, kind of with the talking points to kind of defend the Saudi government on Yemen. So they have put a ton of resources uh, behind an effort to make them seem like a more modern and reformist state. Uh, One thing that has happened in the past few days is uh, a lot of companies have been under pressure and a lot of individuals have been mm-hmm. under pressure to cancel their visit to Saudi Arabia for what they call Davos in the desert, <laughs> which... Because uh, the first Davos is uh, so important. <laughs> Davos in the fucking desert. Jesus. That is so depressing. So lame. Uh, the only problem with Davos in the desert is there is water yeah. for them to drink. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Um because this is not just creating like political and ethical problems for our government. The Saudis invest billions and billions of dollars into like investment funds like SoftBank's Vision Fund, which is this big technology investment fund that invests in companies like Uber and Slack. Uh, my understanding is they put in $45 billion and there's $45 billion more pledged. So that's a lot of money. Wall Street is currently salivating over the prospect of uh, the biggest IPO in history of Saudi Aramco, the state-owned oil company, goes public. There's that huge investment conference. So I guess Secretary Mnuchin is still going, but a bunch of business leaders that you wouldn't expect, like Jamie Dimon, uh, CEO of JP Morgan, the CEO of Uber, all the media sponsors pulled out. Like, Do you think the the private sector might lead us in a right direction here? I do not ever put my <laughs> hopes in the leaders of these companies. I think they should be under pressure to not go. I think we need to make a category shift as to how we think about Saudi Arabia. And as you said, think about it less like some reformist and modern state and more like Kim Jong-un with oil. Uh, stepping back, you know, this is a country with an incredible amount of oil wealth. They make kind of a dirty deal with their own people, which is you're not going to have to work very hard. Right. Uh, you're you're going to be able to have resources and air conditioning and an incredibly nice life because of this oil wealth. The only thing you have to do is give up your basic dignity mm-hmm. and liberty. We will bring in immigrants from other countries Bangladeshi, Pakistani and, and we will work them to fucking death and treat them like absolute dog shit so that you can lead a, a, a nice life in which you're you know safe and ensconced um, as long as you don't question the authority of the government. But that you look in the long term, you go to 30,000 feet and eventually that oil will run out. And so these conferences, these investments, this idea of reforming the country is incredibly, incredibly important to the future. Without oil wealth, they can't pay the bills. They can't pay mm-hmm. the electric bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to figure out how to build the infrastructure, education infrastructure, economic infrastructure outside of oil to maintain their uh, le- lifestyle, maintain their level of wealth into the future. That is an extraordinarily difficult prospect with the cooperation of Goldman Sachs with the cooperation of Jeff Bezos. It is impossible without it. Mm-hmm. So all this talk about how how you know we're going to lose some contract with Raytheon that you know we need Saudi, they need us. They need us. They need us, and they need the international community far more than anyone needs them. Especially as the economics of fossil fuels are changing. Especially if we have our own resources. Especially mm-hmm. as we're moving towards renewables. At least we should be moving towards them faster. So. Um, the idea that we're somehow reliant on them is changing mm-hmm. and uh, our, we need to change the way we think about that country. And like, why can't the art of the deal guy ever identify his own leverage on the front end? Like Mohammed bin Salman, you're, like he understands what you just said, which is that like the U.S. is doing fracking and exporting more oil. Their reserves are going to run out. They need to change their economy in a hurry or else they're going to not just bankrupt themselves, but face massive social unrest. So he's been trying to take all these steps like, you know, some social things like allowing women to drive, but then trying to build all these like tech companies in the city of the future and all this shit. And like, that's what he sold the press on. But to, to your point earlier, like I am very cynical about the Saudis facing long-term punishment because of the $27 million they spent last year alone on lobbying. That goes to 
Republicans and Democrats. They try to influence lawmakers, their staffs, the White House, the State Department, DOD, and journalists. And that doesn't include like the off the book stuff where countries are trying to gain access through Trump's big donors. The New York Times did a piece on that. Or when state linked firms hire former generals or State Department officials and are like fund think tanks. So I do think like, okay, I'm angry and emotional about this. You could make a compelling case that if we totally overreact and there's a rupture in the US Saudi relationship, they turn to Russia and China. And a decade from now, we think to ourselves, that was not a long-term prudent thing. Like, I'm, I'm not making that argument. I want to hear it. But I, I also think, like, there's right and there's wrong, and we should do the bare minimum right now and at least, like, try to figure this out and stand up for basic values. Right. And look, for all their kind of saber-rattling in Saudi Arabia saying, oh, we'll, re- we'll respond and do more, if we take steps to punish Saudi Arabia for their human rights abuses... Once those steps are taken, the fundamental conditions of the relationship remain the same. It is fascinating to me how many people who rely on kind of realpolitik reasons for our our kind of looking the other way with dictators and shameful actors around the world simply lose sight of that reality when it comes time to making those actors pay a price for bad behavior. If if you believe that we shouldn't be guided by principle alone, if that's your position, then why do you think doing the right thing, making them pay a price, will make them act irrationally after that price has been paid. Mm-hmm. Once we have punished them, Magnitsky sanctions, for example, their need for us will remain exactly as it was the day after we put those in place as they did the day before. Yeah. yeah no, it. like what you just said reminds me so much of sitting in meetings in 2011 when the Arab Spring was starting because you'd have like the the 70 plus crowd advisors talking about whether or not Obama should speak out against Mubarak's crackdown in Egypt or side with the protesters. And they'd be like, you know, Hosni and the boys were with us in Gulf War One. You know, like in 91, <laughs> we couldn't have done it without them. And, you know, the younger people were thinking, we have to live these values we, we claim to care about as a country. Now, the tale of the tape on the Arab Spring is, is, is unfinished. And certainly the security situation in, in Cairo looks a hell of a lot worse than it did seven years ago. But no one said this was going to be a quick process. And I don't know, like values should mean something. Yeah, I, it just we shouldn't be ride or die with dictators. It right. just, <laughs> it's not that fucking hard. And um, just to make sure we have an option for a tit- for an episode title, Davos and Hell. You know, that's just there for us to use or not use. I've said it, so now it can count, and that's all. I, you, I said my brain jumped all over ride or die with dictators. We have good options. We have good options today. I mean, last little caveat that people should just know, uh, all of the information we're getting about this is through the Turks. Uh, it seems to me like the Turkeys have the Saudi consulate in Istanbul wired because we're hearing about maybe audio tapes of him being tortured and killed. So that would mean that they're in their comms, they have bugs in there, they have video cameras, but we don't know. We haven't vetted any of this stuff. Right. So it's also notable that the Turks and the Saudis hate each other. Uh, the, the Turkey was a colonial power over the Saudis. Erdogan wants to be the chief leader in the Muslim world. And so, you know, they don't like them because they're close to the Muslim Brotherhood. So the Saudis view them as a real uh, enemy. That said, he went and he didn't come out. Exactly. And the Saudis have offered no plausible explanation for where this man is. Um, So they literally stopped texting back when reporters asked that exact question. Right. Anyway. okay, Uh, Very complicated stuff to be continued. Coming up is our interview with congressional candidate Debbie Mukersel Powell. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. On the line is a Democratic candidate for the 26th district in Florida, Debbie Mukarsel Powell. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you, Tommy, John, for having me on. Uh, so uh, you're running in a district Hillary Clinton won by 16 points two years ago. Are you taking it for granted on vacation? This thing's in the bag. Is that the deal? <laughs> oh, God, guys, I wish. Are you kidding me? No, every single vote is going to count on this race because you see I am running against a Republican incumbent who has really um, been very savvy about deceiving voters. He has a completely different image down here. He pretends to be a moderate on all issues, but then voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act, was one of the main people to write this horrendous tax bill that um, I've heard you both talk about consistently. Um, So, you know, the problem is that people didn't know who he truly was. And my Uh, focus has been to introduce myself to this community because I've been working here for over 20 years, but also let them know who he is and how he votes. How's that going? Because on the one hand, uh, Congressman Curbelo is somebody seen as a moderate. On the other hand, he has voted with Trump a lot of the times. I mean, I think right now we're in this place where a lot of the coverage of politics isn't on the substance, right? That somebody who is verbally critical of somebody gets a lot of credit, even if they vote with them uh, a uh, a huge percentage of the time. Do you find that inside the district people understand that? Or or do do you still have a ways to go to show people that actually as moderate as this person may seem based on some of their words that actually they're voting for corporate tax cuts, they're voting to repeal your health care? Yeah, so that's been the challenge, right? You're absolutely correct about that. Um, I think that they're realizing that he votes with Trump, you know, 84% of the time, that it's not enough to just call him on certain things, but then continue to vote with the most extreme Republicans in, in his party. I mean, he's very close to Paul Ryan. He has been a very good soldier to the Republican Party, and that's something that I bring up time and time again. And what I what I'm feeling locally is that, People see that. They're realizing that he's not an honest representative, and they're ready for change. What can I tell you? And I I think that um, the excitement is there. So I am truly uh, looking forward to the next 22 days to be able to get everyone on board. And what we've seen is that, you know, in the last numbers that we've seen, I am, my message is resonating. I worked here in Miami Um, You know, I'm an immigrant. I came here when I was 14. I know what it's like to leave family and friends and come to a country that you don't know anyone at. And um, I was very fortunate to get a scholarship to go to college. I'm still paying my student loans, by the way, so hopefully I can work on that when I get elected. Um, and But, you know, the education, the opportunities that I've received is what's brought me to where I am today. And just imagine that only in this country an Ecuadorian immigrant can get elected to Congress in one of the most contested seats in the country. So right now, I think there's a lot of hand-wringing amongst Democrats that uh, we have to get back to talking about the things that actually affect people, right? Pre-existing conditions, what this tax, what the tax cut has actually meant for people, um, what uh, this sort of Trump and Paul Ryan Congress have done to kind of undermine working people. But, you know, we're talking about Kanye. We're we're talking about um, uh, sort of side issues a lot of the time. Do you find that that's uh, hurting you? And, and what do you wish national Democrats would be talking about right now to kind of help you in these final few days? <laughs> well, actually, on my drive, I, I'm meeting, I had a meeting with a, um, a union right now. And on my drive here, I was just telling the a couple of my staff members that I can't believe that every day I turn on MSNBC, CNN, all we talk about is exactly what you're saying, Kanye West and what Trump said yesterday and what Trump did, you know, this morning. And there are things that are happening in this world that 
are never covered. And why not focus in the next 22 days every single day on people like me that are fighting the fight to be able to go up to D.C., bring back some sanity, bring back civility? Why not focus twice a day, two candidates across the country, so that people can see that there's a contrast, that there's a huge slate of candidates across the country that have different, that are coming from different backgrounds like myself, but that are willing to come up there to have the conversations that need to be had so that we can work on health care, gun reform, which is a very important issue for me, uh, education, the economy, and an economy that's going to work for all of us, for all the working class families, not just for the people in the top um, why don't we spend some attention doing that? And then hopefully we will win in November and things will start getting back on track. I like that idea. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, that you migrated to America from Ecuador when you were a teenager uh, with your mom and your sisters. There have been a bunch of stories in the past few weeks about whether Democrats are struggling to reach Latino voters or at least more than they should. Is there anything you're seeing or that you've read that concerns you? And how do you think Democrats could do better uh, in terms of their efforts to get, you know, earn the vote from Latino voters? Well, uh, first, we need to get more Latinos represented in Congress in all areas, you know, whether it's local office or uh, federal. Um, I can tell you, yes, I'm the only Latina running for Congress here as a Democrat in the entire state of Florida. And yet no one talks about that, right? Mm. Because our voices are not being uh, reached and they're not being put in front of people everywhere that I go, um, whether it's, you know, Massachusetts, Washington, D.C., New York, I see different groups being represented, represented, but I don't see Hispanic leaders there present talking to us. I have to tell you that running my race, and I'm running in a district where we have 70% of Hispanics that live in my district, and I have that complaint because when I want someone to come down here and, and reach my voters, I need someone that's going to be able to understand the issues that are affecting the Hispanic community. And Hispanics, Tommy um, and, and John, just so that you guys understand, mm-hmm. we, we come from different countries yeah. and we're not married to one party. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem. They, this country doesn't understand that when you have a huge group of immigrants that have come here, that have been here 20, 30, 40 years, you know, there's not that commitment to party. There's definitely a distrust in mm-hmm. government and political uh, elected officials because there's so much corruption in a lot of our countries, which now, unfortunately, we're seeing here as well in the United States. Um, so we need to talk about what, you know, we need to understand the community, which I obviously do, and and I'm trying to send that message out. But nationally, we don't have the leadership that we need from the Hispanic community so that we can start reaching these voters. And no, they're not going to come out and vote if no one's talking to them. Yeah. Democrats need to do a better job not talking about you know Central and South America, which are continents, I believe, uh, as is monolithic or countries. Uh, it's a very good point. Um, w- one question on, on climate change. I mean, last night in 60 Minutes, Trump again denied that climate change is man-made. In fact, he seemed to suggest that if we wait around a while, things will just improve on, on their own. Your opponent is one of those people who seems to like to call anyone who sounds the alarm about climate change uh, an extremist, an alarmist. Are voters starting to see through that kind of rhetoric and see the obvious connection when we have these uh, destructive hurricanes? Well, I hope that they do. You know, I spent a few years working with the Coral Restoration Foundation, and I don't know if you guys have seen, but we I've made the environment one of my key points mm-hmm. in this race because I did work, and I've seen the the impact that climate change is having along the Florida reefs. And you, I don't know if you guys know this, but the coral reefs along the Florida coast is the third largest barrier reef in the world, wow. and it's the only mm. living reef in the entire country, the United States of America. And what we're seeing right now is a bacteria that's attacking the reefs. And um, I understand this issue because I had the opportunity to work with Coral Restoration Foundation. And what I really want to make clear to all my voters, especially in Monroe County, which is, you know, all the Florida Keys and South Florida, is that we have a representative right now that likes to talk a lot and says that he's part of this climate change caucus, but they have not been able to bring one bill to the floor. And the only way that we're going to deal with this issue immediately is if we get a majority of Democrats in Congress, because that's been an issue for us since the 80s. 
And, the, you know, we don't have time to wait. We no. saw a report that came out from the U.N. last week that says that we have 12 years to save the planet. And 12 years? That's, a, that's so much that's time. <laughs> What's the problem? Everybody's getting so freaked out. 12 years. I'll, I'll see you in a decade. We'll worry about it then. Listen, when you get to be my age, 12 years becomes like, you know, 12 minutes. I'm not that old, by the way. Guys, I'm not that old. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, Yeah, no time. I get the, I feel the anxiety. And yes, this is the time to be alarmed, Congressman, is what I want to tell him. Yes, yes. And if you're not, then please get out of the way and let us get those seats so that we can actually bring action. That's right. Um, last question for you. People are listening. Uh, they want to get involved in your campaign. They want to help you out. What should they do? How can they support you? Um, you can go to the website, Debbie2018.com, D-E-B-B-I-E, 2018.com, and sign up as a volunteer. Or send me an email, Debbie at Debbie2018.com. Um, I always read my emails. It takes me a long time, but I still wow. do, and Whoa. I respond to them. Um, Don't blow up her in- inbox, okay, <laughs> listeners? All yeah. right, just be respectful. Yeah, nice I, emails. Listen, Tom and, John, Tommy and John, I hear that you guys have a huge fan club, and those are the people that I need to come out and help me knock on some doors. All right. Okay, let's, we need an Ecuadorian in Congress to we do. bring some sanity to Washington, D.C. Uh, that sounds great. Uh, Debbie, thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for being uh, a common sense, thoughtful, smart, reasonable person running for Congress. We need you in Washington, not trying to get there. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right. Love it. That's it. Uh, We get on a plane tomorrow. Yeah. Tommy and I are going to Austin. We're going to go visit a campaign headquarters, and we're going to get ready for this uh, live show in Texas, which is going to be very fun. Yeah. Some special guests. Please check it out. Uh, and uh, votesaveamerica.com, guys. There's like not a lot of time left. Let's let's go win some elections. Let's go win some elections. Also, Guy Branham hosted Love It or Leave It. Did we ever mention that at the top? I just skipped through housekeeping, but we could do housekeeping and insert it. Nah. All right. If you heard it here. If you made it to the end, you're a true fan. Guy Branham did a great job hosting Love It or really Leave It. He's really funny. We're still in the outro. There's still and music. End of show. Bye-bye. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.